Hello, all of you listeners out there, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mastery. Why, it's the very podcast where we watch the movies that you have recommended to us, and I'm John, and with me, as always, my irascible cohort, Jeff Capital. Yes? Mmm! Mm. 36 elephants! It's getting more like that by the minute! <laughs> bully! Wait, no, wait, no, no, not bully. No. That's American. No, bullies. 23 skidoo! <laughs> Two if by sea! I, I, am I doing these? Are any of these landing? Any of that? Tippecanoe and Tyler too! Negative. No? Nothing. Know. Nothing's <laughs> landing. 64, 40 or fight! Lol. No. 14 or fight? Is, huh? it, is it 14? I thought it was something 40 or fight. Yeah. Well, I'm talking 14 or fight from the movie where all the teenagers want to take over. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, Wild I, in the Streets. Wild in the Streets, which we have watched. Yeah. 14 or fight. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Okay. Reference yeah. to previous episodes. Mm. You got me for capital. I, I wasn't up for an extended I am an old British man routine. Hey, it's Ma- fine. Maybe a little bit. Maybe check check with me after I've had some more caffeine. Yeah. yeah. Have some more. Mm. Why don't you crack that bad boy open? Oh, yeah. Everyone's huh? going to think this is a sweet beer because that's what people on cooler podcasts than ours do. They always wait till the podcast starts and then they're like, hey, we're watching a, a movie. Yeah. Yeah. We got some suds and buds up here in the podcast not not uh not our podcast which is decidedly nerdy and desperate because that's like a warm diet dr pepper i just opened up and uh <laughs> i need this caffeine or i'll die at least this time i'm not pouring bargain basement lemon lime vodka into it at <laughs> there least is that at least there's that uh so this time around uh this comes from a collection of dvds that we were sent so this of course, anyone who sends us movies gets two entries oh, for right. a okay. increased chance of being picked. Mm-hmm. So we watched Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Mm, you sure did. And uh, this... Uh, shoot, wait, hold on. I watched a different Sky Captain movie. Oh, no. Ah, In the serial. <laughs> yes, I watched uh, Sky Captain and the serial of Azkaban. Oh no! It's a different movie. Sorry. So Sorry. We'll, have to, we'll have to compare notes. This isn't capital at all. Oh, this is less than capital. This is lowercase. <laughs> this is capital with like an O instead of an A. This is capitol. This is capitola. No one likes capitola. Uh, but this was a 2004 movie uh, with Jude Law. Uh, that is. So very stylized to the point of... Distraction? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Eye strain? God, there's... Okay. The entire movie is done with so much yellow filter Mm -hmm. on it Mm -hmm. that when they land a plane in a lake at one point, it just looks like they landed in a puddle of piss. Yeah, or like they landed it in a desert or something. It's it's weird how, how yellow this movie is. And also... In order to convey the uh, the kind of... They want to do a 1930s stylization. It's supposed to be more or less, what if a Max Flesher cartoon didn't have Superman in it? Oh, yeah. This um, is very Superman serials series. Yes, uh, except with a pilot instead of Superman. But uh, they're, they're, with... Uh, they want to recreate this 1930s look. They go with, like, they do vignettes around the edges of the frame, so everything's always got, like, black fading out as it makes its way towards the edge as if I'm watching fucking Nosferatu or something. Hmm. And, and uh, also, everything's just blurred a little, I guess, to make it look like it's old. I don't know, but mostly it just looks like eye strain. Yeah, the 
original intent for this movie was actually to try and do the whole Blair Witch found footage of like, oh, this was a lost 30s serial that we found. <laughs> Have it like in different sections that always end with cliffhangers. Uh-huh. And originally it was going to be actors that no one had heard I was about of to so say, that they could do that. The way that Blair Witch worked is that no one had ever heard of those three people. If they were like, this is found footage from the 30s, and the first thing you'd say is, uh, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I'm so, I'm sorry. I, I call I call foul. Yo, that motherfucker Dumbledore. <laughs> That's right. There's a Gambon in this. Yeah. Well, I mean, also Jude Law. Yeah. Which means we got two Dumbledores yeah. in this motherfucker. <laughs> a Dumble duo, <laughs> if you will, and I will. <laughs> uh yeah. The the original intent, of course, to do all that was interesting, but. Uh, then they decided they wanted to make money, so instead, <laughs> they got some big-name people and filmed literally everything against a blue screen. Yes, yeah. It's very clear that there is not a single set in this movie, which was in, in vogue around the time. I mean, that's this is, what, three years after Phantom Menace, where the world was still convinced that actors don't need anything to work against? Oh, yeah. No, there were, I think, like four different movies that were all blue screen that came out in 04 alone. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, this is just a thing we're doing now. It caused a ridiculous backlash. Now everyone hates it. Now we have all the Star Wars movies where like everyone is clearly a dude in a suit because like people are so reactive to the three to the uh, CG characters. Oh yeah, and I mean I get that, but man, watching this, you're like, you have two actual maybe sets in this. Mm -hmm. One is Polly's office, and the other one is I think the doctor's lab and that's the only thing that's like ah we're interacting with this space yeah i would have gone with the doctor's lab alone because there's nothing in Polly's office it's just shadow and a desk i mean she's got the drawers that she's interacting with so i was like oh you're actually you know doing something yeah they here. put a desk in front of a blue screen yeah it's just a <laughs> desk a phone and a couple drawers and you're like great and they're like yeah just act against that we're gonna put in yarael poof and yaddle all the all your favorites. We're gonna have a Jar Jar walk by in the background. <laughs> My lawyers are saying we can't. Never mind. We're gonna do a noir thing. <laughs> uh, that was the the one thing that from the original thing that they wanted to do was film it in black and white. And the fact that they didn't and instead appeared to film it in like yellow and gray was a strange choice. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, most stuff that you see nowadays that's filmed in black and white is filmed in color and then color corrected to black and white after the fact because it's more expensive to get old black and white equipment than it is to just do that. Yeah. Uh, in this movie, you could they could have just done that, and they didn't. They did something very weird instead. Yeah, not To sure make it why. look like the whole thing was a newspaper cereal that they fished out of some pee. <laughs> ah, yes, we <laughs> left this soaking in urine. <laughs> Coming up next year, a yellow version of Crazy Cat. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the non-spoiler review for this from me is better than I thought it was going to be, and I've seen this before. I've seen it. Be I, I saw this on a date in 2004, and I liked it. Thing is, I mean, I'm very, uh, I'm very skeptical about the uh, the color treatment and the, uh, the the look of the film overall. But it's a fun little adventure thing. Oh yeah, no uh, this. Definitely has the, this is, you know, a 1930s radio serial yeah. that has the look of the, uh, like, cartoons of the day, especially 
not having Superman and having it be like, what's this? Just some pilot was very much like the early thirties type adventure. Yeah. Pulp. I mean, with the difference being that those are literally the Max Flesher Superman robots that oh, are, yes. they're in, it's it literally like they didn't even, they might as well have started the movie with an apology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's got stolen in this movie and got put in here as, <laughs> you know, an homage. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I guess they were just hoping no one had ever seen those. I, I don't know. But the fact that you like you look at them and you go, oh, yeah, that's a specific episode. Yeah, I know what that is. That's the most famous one of the Max Flesher Superman's invasion of the metal man or whatever it was yeah. called. I, I mean, <laughs> people don't remember the other ones all that much. They remember the one with the flying robots. <laughs> Weird. Uh, but yeah, uh, pretty decent. The fact that they filmed it to be noir, but it's a pulp adventure is a little weird, but... There's a lot of this that's a little weird. I mean, basically, my pre-spoiler review was, in 2004, I thought this was rad because I love stylized movies, mm -hmm. and now I still think it's fine, but I've got more issues than I used to. Yeah, I this was like Spawn for me, where I went, oh, I've seen that before, and I remember nothing. I remember the giant robot, and that like that's it. I was like, oh, it's the movie with the P-40. I like the movie that has the P-40 Warhawk. And then the bat, the, the British, for some reason, are flying experimental late World War II Japanese planes <laughs> that turn into submarines, but it's fine. <laughs> All right, so we are going to play a little music. We're going to come back. We are going to go full spoilerific in-depth review for Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Sky rockets in flight. This is Sky Command. Come in, Sky Captain. Come in, Sky Captain. We need your help. <laughs> Seriously? Uh, yeah, sure. What do you need? That's oh. me. I'm Sky Captain. I am faking an American accent to throw off the, I don't know, Nazis. Ah, well, apparently, I don't even know if there's Nazis in this, but we need you. We need, we need your help. Help us, Sky Captain. There's birds. I'm pooping. Damn it! <laughs> I don't know. I I told you it's a two way wrist radio. Sometimes Sky I'm major there. Sometimes I'm pooping. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> this movie is. I'm gonna go ahead and start right off with. There's an interesting alternate timeline going on in this movie that you kind of like can track through what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost certainly taking place in 1939, even though we don't get a year because they go see I think Wizard they, of Oz in theaters. They do. And I think they, uh, yeah, they don't mention, uh, they say it's the late 30s at one point. Uh, they don't, they, and, and it, it feels like the uh, build up to World War II and the actuality of World War II for a large part of the world is just not currently happening. No, there's a point where we see a bunch of newspapers from various countries, yeah. including Japan and Germany. Yeah. And you do see the Iron Eagle in the background of the German one, mm -hmm. but there's no, like, war buildup or anything like that. Yeah. And, and, well, notably, by 1939, you know, Britain was was 
deeply ensconced in the war already. Oh yeah. Like they were, they were already more done than they were. They had to go. And, and, uh, cause America didn't enter until 41. And we always pretend like that's when the war started, but that is not the case. Oh goodness. No. Yeah. And, uh, and this movie's got a lot of shit about what the British are up to these days. And there's no point where our British character, Angelina Jolie, for some reason is like, Oh, you know, you can, I can help you real quick, but I got to go deal with the whole blitz and the Nazis. It, 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 there's not there's just none the of that cherries yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's it's an interesting alternate timeline we start the film on the hindenburg three i was gonna say the the biggest timeline change right off the bat is that zeppelins are still in, in vogue well i mean this definitely is a world where the hindenburg disaster never happened yeah because we have the third one of these and you actually have a system for mooring on the empire state building for this Zeppelin. Well, it's another thing that tells you more or less that they are not currently at war with Germany. Yes. Uh, in, in that they are the, the Zeppelin company is still manufacturing Graf Zeppelins and shipping them out across the world to allies to their enemies. Oh, well, I mean, this is captained and uh, many of the passengers in this Zeppelin are German. Yeah. So we don't know what happened exactly, but not World War II, but yes, World War One. But Probably. but they call it World War One. Exactly. I was about to get to that. I was like, there's no World War Two happening, but they call it World War One instead of the Great War. Yes. And- Which notably they didn't start calling World War One the Great War until after World War Two. Not not during it. They weren't like, well, now that this is happening, let's call that other one World War One because it kind of feels like a precursor, you know? No, that's it was the Great War until like 1948. Well, so I don't. It's a, it, it's interesting that they went that way. Yeah, it was. I think it's spoon feeding. (laughs) No, it was definitely a weird thing that they have all of these different little bits that, like, lean towards a certain alternate history happening. Yeah. But there's so much stuff that we just don't know. I mean, eliding whether or not World War II is happening is a baller move. (laughs) To just be like, eh, don't worry about it. Eh, meh. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I have to imagine that it isn't. But then, because of the World War One thing, I'm like, did we just get a second World War real quick after the first one? Well, okay, I mean, the movie opens with uh, the Zeppelin arriving, we get a scientist talking to a porter, and he's like, you must get this message to Dr. William Jennings, it's super important, you know, he's German accent, so he's actually saying Jennings, uh, and, and this is all on that Zeppelin. So we, we've got our beginning of the noir intrigue mystery stuff happening where he's like, you must get this message to him immediately. Uh, and uh, pretty much right away, there's a robot attack in the middle of the city. Like, like New York is invaded by 50 foot flesher robots. And uh, the first thing that you hear people saying is, well, we can't fight these ourselves. We need Sky Captain and his mercenary super army. And I'm like, oh, OK, so. So does America not have a functional military, just this mercenary company army that they have, like the Blackhawks from DC Comics or something? It's very strange because, again, we get a little bit of an exchange here where they're like, ah, the nations of the world are too stretched thin with wars and keeping whatever that we have to rely on Sky Captain. And you're like, why isn't Sky Captain fighting in World War II if it's happening? That's a, that, that's that's probably why they don't mention that World War II is happening, because your first question would be, what the fuck, Jude Law? Go fucking fight in World War II, you dick. <laughs> no, I'd rather fly over New York and blow up whatever random robots and stuff. Well, okay, but yeah, the, you know, the war's happening, right? Like, especially in your home country? Ah, money! <laughs> but this is just one of those things that you're like, yeah, you have to have a some excuse 
why your pulp hero is allowed to be a pulp hero and it's not just immediately replaced. Because when you're like, we need to call in this one hero, and you're like, why don't you send an army? Shut up. (laughs) They're busy doing what? What are they so busy doing that Sky Captain himself is not doing? Uh, fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we get the impression he does plenty of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the... We do get the Fleischer bots who come in and they are visually the robots from Superman. Uh, yeah, they're they're bigger, but they are the robots from Superman. Yeah. I mean, they literally, have, they have the thing where they their wings, their arms turn into wings. Yep. I mean, it's literally those robots. Oh, yes. And they have the eye beams from War of the Worlds, including the sound effects. Yes, absolutely. The exact same sound effect. The first time they start shooting, you're like, ah, oh, geez. Uh, it's just that. It's just the heat ray from War of the Worlds again. Yeah. And we get even uh, our Gwyneth Paltrow's reporter, uh, Polly. Mm-hmm. When she is on the phone to her editor and is talking about the robots, she has the line where like, they're coming down 6th Street. Or Sixth right, Avenue, yeah. Fifth Avenue. Very They're a hundred yards away. Yeah. That is an actual line from the Orson Welles uh, for the radio broadcast. Yes, that's. It did feel a little silly where she's on the phone talking. To, where she calls her editor and she's like, "Look, this is the horrible situation. I need you to get to the following bit, of, following bit of information." And he's like, "Well, what are you doing? There's robots coming down Forty Second Street, Forty First. They're crossing Sixteenth. They're a hundred yards away." Do you think at any point he'd be like, "Yeah, you can hang up and you know run if you want. I don't." This blow-by-blow is not helping anybody. <laughs> Are you quoting something? I feel like you're quoting something. Uh, oh, yeah. The amount of, like, 1930s stuff that they shove into this movie is a lot. Plus the weird references to the stuff. Very unusual. <laughs> uh, There's a whole character named Mo just to explain why he's named that. Because, uh, you know... Whenever anybody asks if he wants some money, he always wants Mo. <laughs> and then he's gone from the film. Weird choice. Disappears entirely. <laughs> uh so yeah, we uh, we before we no, that the uh the the scene of the robot attack is the first time it drags her out of her office. We have multiple scenes of of uh, her editor trying to convince her to stay in her office. Well, yeah, she is currently covering the main beginning mystery of the film, which is some very prominent scientists have gone missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one knows what has happened to them, but she's just gotten some information from someone telling her to meet her at Radio City Music Hall mm-hmm. because uh, he knows who's going to be next. Yeah, and her her boss is like, look, you, you've got no business doing this kind of thing like this. This they, is real dangerous yeah. stuff. Well, basically the movie... don't get out there and get mixed up in this. Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? <laughs> Part of the part of this movie, the thing that I didn't notice when I was like twenty three and watching it the first time that I am definitely watch, noticing now is that uh, all the women in this are dames. They're they're all every line they get is either is either were you cheating on me? I'm a brass gal with lots of moxie, or you got no business going out there, young lady. You're a dame, and you, dames need to stay at home and be safe. And and for her to be like, I don't need to do that. Nah, that it's just that's all of Gwyneth Paltrow's character. Yeah, well, I didn't when I was twenty three. I was like, uh, this doesn't bother me. But now it's kind of like, uh, I kind of wish there was more to her. <laughs> I mean, 
mean, she's your standard plucky reporter sidekick. Well, because basically this movie is the, I, I feel like this happens every eight years or so. They try to do a serial recreation of Indiana Jones with a slightly different hmm. structure. This is one of those. It's a Rocketeer. It's a Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just we want to do some good old fashioned pulp nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, she goes off to meet this scientist at, as John mentioned, the uh, the showing of, of the original Wizard of Oz, which is a breath of fresh air in this movie because they don't use the yellow treatment on the footage. Yeah, it's just playing <laughs> yeah. on the blue screen. So you're just like, oh, nice. Oh, colors. Oh, any color but yellow. Oh, this is this is lowering my anxiety. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, of course the scientists like, of course I know who's next. It's me. I love where he introduces himself because she goes and sits down. Did you invite me here? This was a bad idea. Okay. But who are you? I am Dr. William Jennings. I'm a nuclear theoretical chemist. And like, are you really? Because the only thing that we see of your experiments is that you invented a foot tall elephant. I feel like that's more of a biology thing. (laughs) He's got a, he's got a tiny elephant and also, uh, some vials of semen and eggs. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to be that, but when you find out what's in the two little vials that are one of the movie's MacGuffins, and they're just like, that's Adam and Eve. I was like, oh, you've been carrying around jizz vials. Oh, I get it. <laughs> you got them goo j- vials <laughs> hanging around in your pocket. Yeah. Goo tubes. <laughs> one of them's, I mean, one of them's presumably a bunch of eggs that are perfectly safe to be kept in a little metal tube that you keep in your pocket. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows you can keep jizz in a little metal tube in your pocket because the internet. <laughs> Because obviously, <laughs> I could go find you five articles about that right now. Yeah. Plus a book about recipes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is when the robots attack and we get our whole thing there. Mm-hmm. And they call Sky, Sky Captain and his army. Sky Captain has no army. It's just Sky Captain. It's the weirdest fucking thing. He has an army. He has a giant fucking base in some American river delta somewhere on a private island with hundreds of P-40s and B-24s and stuff, but no one else ever flies a plane in this movie. (laughs) No. I mean, it has to be very close to New York. Yes, it does. Well, I mean... This movie got pretty much throws operational ranges of P-40s out the window. Let's well, not worry no, about I'm that. Just, I'm just talking about how quickly he how gets there. The the one scene where he's chasing the bird flyers. Oh, that's, yeah. And he, they chase them right to New York. Yeah. And it's like three minutes later they get there. Yeah, it's just immediately they so are in the They're probably city. in the Hudson River then. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like they're going to tell us. And yeah, it's the weirdest thing that they keep talking about Sky Captain and his mercenary army. And his mercenary army is... Four or five extras who are only ever seen walking away from the camera in the distance, and Giovanni Rabisi. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, and Sky Captain only manages to take out a robot, and then that's it. They, they but, fuck along. But the one robot he takes out apparently spooks the rest of them, and they're like, well, we gotta get out of here. Yeah. Well, partially it's also that they're already accomplishing the mission. Because the robots, the... The uh the villainous villain of the movie, which is pretty much just the leftover programming of a dead guy. Uh, spoiler alert, sorry. Oh, spoiler alert! It's Sir Lawrence Olivier <laughs> as a hologram. Is this his final role? That would be amazingly <laughs> sad. Amazingly sad. I mean, it's not quite. Uh, there's there's sadder. <laughs> there there is. <laughs> there's Raul Julia. <laughs> uh, at least people like that movie. <laughs> ha. Huh. 
that wasn't even what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Sir Billy, which I think I, I'm trying to remember whose whose last movie that is, and it's falling. Sir Billy, don't, don't let's not worry about it. I'll look it up while we're talking. Okay, uh, okay, he, but yeah, he flies. They, 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 they this whole radio thing, like the shadow kind of vibe, where they're just like calling Sky Captain, Sky Captain, come in. The help of Sky Captain and his mercenary army is needed now more than ever. Our boys are unavailable to help fight, so we need Sky Captain and his special plane. And then Sky Captain shows up in a you know Scooby Doo modified P forty that uh, just has endless deployable things. Well, yeah, I mean, you it's have fine. To. It's it's a cool hero plane. No, I I need to tell you right now that when I looked up the trivia for this movie, someone was a huge plane nerd and was upset in there because they're just like. Well, he's flying a modified P-40N, but I think you'll find that the fuselage fuel dome was actually removed, which should not be the case, and where he puts his uh, submarine propellers would be right where the landing gear is. And you're just like, (laughs) my dude. (laughs) Calm your tits. It's a super plane. It's fine. (laughs) This is dumb pulp fiction just chill out like the batmobile in the 66 show was a regular car with some crap glued to it you know people see people being like well the exhaust pipes are right where those oil slicks would go (laughs) roughly 5,000 horsepower appears to have been added to the plane yes by a super scientist who invented a ring shooting heat beam (laughs) it's It's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah finding that i was like aw some plane nerd (laughs) i'm some plane nerd i would say that the my biggest nerding out moment in this movie is there's near the end you meet angelina jolie and her army of sub of uh submarine airplane like amphibious airplanes that can fly right into the water yeah and they do this really cool looking shot where the propeller goes from the front of the uh, of the engine cowling to the back so it can move from being a puller to a pusher uh-huh uh except that there's no reason to do that uh, <laughs> propellers work the same whether they're in the front or back of the engine cowling <laughs> it was just cute for no reason uh-huh. when i was watching it i was just like Oh, why? Especially because those are modified. Th- those are a a uh, stylistic modification on the Japanese JW seven Shinden, which was already a pusher plane. Plane <laughs> <laughs> uh, nerds, not that much. I mean, they don't look that much like a Shinden. They could also be a Dornier three thirty five or something. But okay, fine. I'm a big plane nerd. Yes, uh, but but I don't care. I thought everything was adorable. Oh no. It's it's definitely one of the things where I'm like, yeah, if I'm a big nerd about something, but I'm watching a fictional sci-fi thing about it, I'm not going to be like, well, hey now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so he flies out there and he has all kinds of fun gizmos and gadgets on his plane. And it's fun because almost all of them fail. He tries shooting at them, nothing. He drops bombs on them, nothing. He, he uses a huge grappling multi-shot cannon to fire a, a, a trip line into two buildings to try and trip one it just kicks it out of the way eventually he has to shoot a sticky bomb at one of their knees yeah and that one blow the joint off for their leg yeah yeah um and uh so uh, the whole time the only person in new york apparently is is polly because she's the only fucking one there it's a this movie has like eight people in it oh yeah i mean all of the extras in here were filmed against blue screen separately, not just separately from the main cast, but from each other as well, so that the director could just go back and put them wherever he wanted. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. You, and you could, yeah, there's this very few extras just running away from in shots. There's a scene towards the end where there's like three or four scientists running around with our heroes. And I was like, Jesus Christ, are they okay? That's so many people to be on screen at once. <laughs> How are they doing this? Yeah, the, the fact that, uh, we get the Superman robots who mm-hmm. get chased away. And then, of course, we have to have the, uh, reporter then confront Sky Captain and oh, they had a previous relationship because that's I mean it's it's a pulp thing. Well, so there's only eight to. people in the world, so obviously two of the hot ones will have dated. <laughs> Three of the hot ones will have dated. <laughs> By the way, Sir Billy, I was trying to remember what the hell that was. Sir Billy is a uh, a Scottish movie from around 2012, and it is food fight level shitty CGI. Great. It's a story about like Scotland's attempt to save the last beaver or something. And uh, it's the last film role of Sean Connery. That's that was the embarrassing thing I was trying to remember. Ah! Uh, so there you go. That that that's what Sir Billy was. Okay, okay, moving on. This is not, however, the last role of Sir Lawrence Olivier because this is considered archival footage rather than a role. <laughs> or or so it's just it, it is his last movie by a technicality. No, I mean it would be. Like, you can't just say, ah, I'm going to make a movie and put a picture of Lawrence Olivier in it, and now it's his last movie. Oh, okay, that's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. I like how we're seeing one in real time right now, where Robert Redford's last movie is going to be Endgame. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, going for let's let's keep pushing forward. He he managed to repel the robot invasion. He lands at his base, and you could tell that the Hudson River Valley is apparently super, super close to Manhattan, because... <laughs> Because Polly's already in his office, and she doesn't have a P-40. No, or a car. <laughs> I assume she teleported there with the power of suspecting that she's being cheated on. I mean, we see her take a taxi, but I cannot imagine that a taxi is like, yeah, I'm still running after the giant robots, get it. Let's do this. What, do you want me to go there faster than a P-40? That's like 400 miles an hour. No problem, maybe. Ma'am, this is New York. I know which tunnel to take. Don't you worry. I'm going to take a short crust. <laughs> take a short crust pastry. A short crust hot cross bun. <laughs> Best in the city. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the timing of this, of course, is just convenience. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> best not to worry about it. Yeah, we a get... lot of this movie is best not to worry about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We uh we get to meet Dex, the only other person that actually exists at this base. Mm-hmm. His main sort of science guy with a very weird relationship with our hero. Uh, oh, there! I, I got it. It's weird. It's just first of all, Giovanni Rabisi and Jude Law do not look like they're all that different in age. If anything, Rabisi looks like he's a year or two older. Uh, and and uh, every time uh, Jude Law addresses him, he's like, "Good boy, Dex. That's my Dex. That's my good boy. Good boy, Dexy." <laughs> oh, I was like, "You got some kind of a relationship going here." Weird paternalistic one. Does Dex call you daddy? <laughs> But Dex is the super scientist because he has a, like, shoot circles heat ray. Mm-hmm. And in a fun nod to the other 1930s serial I already mentioned, the Rocketeer, much like the chief scientist that hung out with the hero, he chews gum incessantly. Yeah, that's, that's what his Pe- thing. That's what Peavy did. <laughs> uh, you gotta give somebody a trait, and I guess gum's as good as any. Yep. <laughs> it's useful because both of them use it to, to solve a hairy situation, too. Oh, yes. Because... 
They don't know where the signal is coming from, but they know the robots were being controlled mm-hmm. by radio signal. Yeah, because because uh, Dex is a super smart guy. Yeah, he's like, well, some signal was being broadcast while they were attacking, and then it went away when they left. Mm-hmm. So we can basically guarantee that this is some sort of control signal that is like Morse code, but more complex. Yes. And we need to listen to it for like three minutes for me to be able to track it. And at no point does Jude Law say, well, you have a recording of it, right? Like you just played me back a recording of it. Couldn't you just stretch that for three minutes and triangulate it off of that? Because it's not about listening to the recording. It's having the recording happening. (laughs) It's not like I can listen to the recording of a kidnapper and go, and now we'll trace this call. You could. All you have to do is isolate the obvious sound of the specific dock that that Batman knows what the uh, pontoons on the side of it sound like. Yeah. And he'll be like, ah, that's dock 46. In the sexy one. In the docks district. (laughs) Luckily, the docks are empty this time of night. Marty. Uh, I'm empty this time of night, Marty. I'm one of the docks. <laughs> Marty, you gotta come with me. Where are you, Marty? I'm 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 empty. <laughs> the Libyans. <laughs> they found me. They, I don't know how, but they found me. I guess they hollowed me out. Okay, so <laughs> so yeah, Rabisi gets gets his new toy, which is the co- the the corpse, so to speak, of that giant robot. Yeah. Uh, you know. He, uh, Jude Law, Sky Captain is just like, hey, can you do anything with this thing? Can you, uh, can you like, I don't know, figure out a science thing or so? I don't. Can this, you science? At can this? you science at this? Whatever. Oh, sure thing, Captain. <laughs> That's good boy, Dex. What do you want me to do with it exactly? Find clues or uh, what am I doing with this? Reverse engineer it. I mean, it is a giant flying nuclear robot. That's kind of rad. Maybe it's, you want one. It's pretty cool. It is. Pretty- I mean, it's got a heat ray. I assume we should probably get the heat ray. I don't know, Dex. Just science it or whatever. I'm American. <laughs> I'll be in my office being berated. Ah, <laughs> uh, and yeah, Polly is in there, and where we get the sort of fun back and forth between the two of them, where he's angry because. Uh, he thinks that Polly sabotaged his plane, and she thinks that he was cheating on her when they were in Nanjing. Mm-hmm. By the way, mentioning like Nanjing and stuff in your war movie as a fun, lighthearted place where goofy shenanigans happen to some cool white people. <laughs> Not recommended. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hey, this was years ago. Like, I know technically that's Nanking, but still, I was kind of like, hey, 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 maybe pick a place in Europe for that. Okay. One of the one of the ones that didn't get ruined. (laughs) Maybe not. Don't set it in Dresden or something. But you know what I mean? You know, remember that time we got so drunk in Dresden, we were absolutely bombed. (laughs) I remember that as a fiery evening. (laughs) Yes. Breezed into my life like a tornado. You, this is really poor taste. I'm, I don't want to be doing this. <laughs> yeah, really killed a lot of people. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. Hold on. So he's upset because he's fairly certain that in some sort of peak of jealous revenge, she sabotaged the fuel line on his airplane. Well, not even jealous revenge. It was so she could get a picture she wanted. Oh, that's right. Yes. And she is convinced that he was cheating on her in Nanjing. Yes. Um. And, and so neither of them was willing to answer either of those two uh, accusations. Well, all, both of them are like, no, of course I didn't do yeah. that. Until, you know, there's the point in the movie where we get the reveal that, yes, both of them did that. Yes, consistently and thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, right now she's just like, look, I have a tiny bit of information on this story because I talked to that scientist. Don't you want it, Dex, if you let me have it? Or if I let Give you have this information. Give me the exclusive and you can have it. Yeah. And he's like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. But sure. What do you know? And she's like, surprisingly little. There's <laughs> Basically a, nothing. There's a villain named Totenkopf. He's the bad guy. Find him. <laughs> and what? Do you have anything else? No. That's it. Just a name. And that will not help you. <laughs> oh, okay. It'll have nothing to do with anything. It'll all be Giovanni Ribisi's radio signal. <laughs> uh, but then we get another attack by... Some more super science flying things, which are like bird. Yeah, they're metal birds. They're giant metal headless birds. Yeah, because uh, they've got like flappy wings. Yeah, they, they're ornithopters effectively, although they also have jet engines. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they are going to make it so that we don't have to worry about the whole mercenary army bit of Sky Captain and his mercenary army. It turns out that having your mercenary army in the Hudson River Valley on one tiny island is a bad idea, as they immediately get bombed into oblivion, all of them except, conveniently, his special plane. Well, yeah, because everyone else's plane is just sitting out on the runways, mm -hmm. including, like, several Zeppelins and stuff. Yeah, they have a bunch of blimps, and they have uh, they, they have a couple of... They have a, a full army of P-40s, and then inside some hangars, they have a bunch of B-24s, but all those hangars get knocked out, too. Yeah, but his is in a hangar that he manages to get out of before it explodes. Yes. Like, now, as it's, it explodes. Yeah, so he's going to fly up and shoot at these things. Now, the last set of robots was bulletproof, but luckily the birds aren't, so he's able to shoot down a few of them. Yeah, because otherwise they wouldn't be able to fly. Mm -hmm. Well, they could be. They could just be made of the same stuff that black boxes are made out of, John. Eh? How come no one's ever made that joke before? Eh? It feels so obvious. Also, did you know that box is orange? Yeah, think about that. Yeah, it makes you think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, after he shoots down a few of the birds, he gets a call on the radio from Rabisi, who's like, the, the signal's coming from one of those birds. You can't shoot down any of them. Well, yeah. But the second he's like, oh, no, wait, I found it. I know which one is doing it because it's the only one that has a big spark on front, like zappy communication bits on it. <laughs> he should have been like, all right, I won't shoot down that one and just immediately shot down all the rest of them because we are shown before this that it's not that difficult to shoot them down. Well, yeah, and he's he's the only airplane in the sky. And unfortunately, right after he figures that out, the one flyy bird with the radio signal on it heads for New York. Yeah. So he doesn't really have a choice. He could try and stay here and shoot down all these other uh, birds, but then he would never get the signal. So he has to stay close to the, the bird heading to New York. Yeah, and he's trying to, like, herd it back to the base so that they can keep the signal going. And Polly's in the plane with him. Just putting that out there. I want to make sure we all know that this is definitely a two-seat P-40. Yes. Um, she's in the back after some snappy banter about how she's like, no, women belong on the ground. And she's like, I'm coming with you. It's my story. Yeah. And he's like, I don't have time to argue with you. Yeah. So she gets in the plane and they're flying along together on a madcap adventure where for some reason he's flying after this plane or this bird and also staying like three feet off the ground. Yeah, that there's was a, part a weird where he, choice. Yeah, there's a part where he, like, goes next to a taxi, and I'm like, you don't need to, you know, the, the bird's not doing that. Why are you so low? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> at one point, Polly's like, oh, I know a shortcut. You should head down this street, turn left, and when he does, it is shown he is at street level and almost rams into a truck that is driving along, and I'm like, my dude, <laughs> you are in a plane. <laughs> also... The shortcut to find the missing bird is to go up and look. 
<laughs> That's what he eventually does. Because yeah, her plan is like, oh, the bird's the one block over from them. She's like, okay, take a left and then a left and then a left. And he's like, you're making me go in circles. She's like, no, I'm a New Yorker. New Yorkers know everything about New York automatically. That's a movie. Don't mess with Spider-Man. If you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Go Nets. <laughs> And then, of course, it's wrong, and he flies, like, into construction. He flies through a building, and then he's like, screw you, and he flies up to go find the bird, and there it is. Yeah. I was like, oh, you should have just done that to begin with, my man. Yeah. (laughs) You should have started with that. You apparently only need to be within a couple hundred feet of the bird. Just go above the buildings. This is very dangerous. Uh, But we also get a Wilhelm scream here when some guy gets knocked off a building. Uh Uh-huh. And eventually, uh, oh, and the big robots that invaded first carved a hole into the ground in New York. The small robots, the birds, have have circled around the hole. They are stealing generators. Yeah, they're getting a bunch of reactors out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Weird thing, given that the uh, the army of robots is, you know, seeming an infinitely huge number of 50-foot robots, but they need some reactors that they have to steal from New York. They can't just build their own. Well, they can't uh, I, lift them and carry them away is yeah. the problem, because they have to have their arms outstretched in order to fly, so they can't hold on to a I'm package. not saying, why didn't the giant robots take the generators? I have the answer to that. It's the answer you just gave, and I thank you for it. What I'm saying is, why didn't the Toad and Top just build some fucking generators? He's a super scientist. Well, the whole movie is... Oh, he's been stealing whatever he needs from every country. But he's mostly been stealing raw materials. Yes. So I'm like, steal some stuff to make generators. Don't steal New York. You don't need these. You're a super scientist. But whatever. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Obviously, he has to steal New York generators because otherwise he would never attract the attention of Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, which is his full name. Legal. (laughs) My full legal name. (laughs) His name is just Sky Captain. No. His name is like Harold Joseph Dugas, whatever his last name is. <laughs> it's Sky Captain. It isn't, though. <laughs> it's it's uh, Sky Roy. Harry Cap- Joseph Sullivan. Yeah, sure. He's so he's so American that he definitely needs a name like Harry Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they put like Angelina Jolie as the British person and Jude Law as the American. Well, he's doing a British accent. He doesn't change. Oh, it. he does. He very, very lightly attempts <laughs> to hide it, but not a lot. I, see, I you if you now that you're telling me that, I'm like, I guess I when I was like, oh, they just went with him being British because he's Jude Law. That's smart. <laughs> no, <laughs> like you can tell he's trying a little. But not enough. <laughs> not even close. If they wanted that to work, they should not have paired him with Giovanni Rabisi. Because ah! <laughs> they'd be like, hello, Dex. Good boy, Dex. Yes. And, and all that. And, and... Oh, peep, peep, then, Dex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Captain, what do you want? Eh? I sound like Norm MacDonald. <laughs> oh. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> Me. Uh, anyway, yes. they. Uh, Dex manages to triangulate the signal and it's coming from the himalayas yeah, somewhere it's nepal it's coming from what what would turn out to be shangri-la because obviously we need a, a, a mystical location well, yeah, for a, a, a noir movie a pulp, it's movie. A pulp movie yeah you gotta have some mystic locale and another thing you need to have in all these movies is a part where an airplane flies over a world map as uh cool music plays and a line dra- is drawn and here it is and there you go <laughs> need that yeah, so they capture Dex and take him away, but not before he uses his gum to stick the piece of map that he has marked an X on mm-hmm. to a, like, 
some rafter or something. Yeah, and again, I am forgiving this movie for the P-40 flying all the way to Nepal and then after that running out of fuel in a dramatic scene uh, because it's a super plane. Fine, it's a, it's a cool super plane. From- I mean, we also can just be like, Hey, he stopped occasionally. Maybe. It doesn't look like he did. Uh, that would be such a long fucking flight, by the way. From oh, yeah. <laughs> no, when that was happening, I was like, God, your legs would be so sad. I would not want to do that in a P-40. Like, even in a modern jet flying from here straight to Nepal is like a 22-hour fucking flight. <laughs> like, imagine having to fall asleep in that P-40. Ugh. But or, or not being able to, because Gwyneth Paltrow is not a good like backup pilot. She's a reporter. Yeah, no. Sad times. Yeah. But, you know, don't worry about it. The reason I'm saying I forgive this movie, super plain, it's all good. Because I, I remember being super mad at the second Wonder Woman movie for pulling the same move, where they, like, steal a jet from a museum and fly to the Middle East in it. <laughs> and I was like, no. Not only would that plane not have had fuel in it because it's in a museum, but even if it did, it's got a, a service range of, like, a thousand miles. It's not going to go to the Middle East. <laughs> it's going to go to the middle of the ocean is what it's going to go to. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that was not a super plane. Invisible, yes. Super, no. <laughs> wondrous yes yeah. super no <laughs> yeah it was a regular ass plane they just stole it <laughs> uh anyway yes so in nepal he has a contact there yeah he's got a <laughs> he's got a bad dates guy he's got a, a, a uh what's that guy's name Sa- uh salab I don't remember what his name is. I don't know. Well, his name is Kaji. In Kaji. This. Yeah, but I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's he's uh he's what's his name? Yeah. It, sure. It's, yeah, you just have one of those guys. You always got to meet a, a a swarthy foreign guy in your pulp movie so that your main character can be like, "Yes, I'm friends with people from the other countries." <laughs> uh and uh he really wants some Vienna sausages. Yeah, he's excited about Vienna sausages and I think he says something in Nepal uh it should be Nepal, Nepalese, but they call it something else. Tibetan. Tibetan. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Uh, about uh, about how Gwyneth Paltrow is hot or something. Oh, it's oh, because it, nipples, nipples are hard when it's cold outside. Yes, that's right. Ugh. Yeah. Which, I'm like, she's in a like full-on coat, like a big, heavy coat. Yeah, over he's her. just aware that somewhere underneath there, there's probably some nipples. <laughs> Pro- Under- nipples probably in there. I mean, it's the 1930s. You, under- you understand that for dudes to be horny, they have to have a really strong imagination so they can get through, like, the 12 layers of architecture that make up women's clothes. Uh, I get it. It's okay. It's fine. But yes, they're gonna go off and try and find this place that is Shangri-La. And or, yeah, or any number of other names. It's known by many names. Shambhala, or the, Eden, or whatever the fuck else. The Greeks called it Olympus, or what, you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's funny, because for all that, it is a very brief scene. Oh, yeah. are <laughs> like, well, anyway, we have to go there. Great, we do. Yeah, they find <laughs> a mine that is actually, like, found uranium in it. See, why is he... He doesn't need these. He's already got uranium. What is he stealing reactors? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because he needs the parts. He needs so much uranium and wolframite. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they find a giant robot mine facility, obviously made by Totenkopf. And uh, then the uh, Kaji's helpers turn out to be evil and mm-hmm. steal the vials yep. and take them off to Totenkopf while they have to run and escape from a giant looney tunes-esque dynamite room this is also by the way uh we've skipped over the scene where they investigate the scientist's building yeah because they're like oh we gotta we gotta go talk to the missing the last scientist and they're too late he's already been murdered by 
in a very thankless role the 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 assassin uh secondary lead villain played by Bai Ling from her period where she played you know, wordless mystic assassins. Yeah. It's like, well, what we need is a mysterious Asian lady. Yeah. All right. And they were like, well, let's see. We're already doing the whole blue screen thing. Can we just get Aura Singh from, uh, from Phantom Menace? Yes, we can. Yeah, it turns out, yes. <laughs> turns out, yes. <laughs> Why not, one would ask. Uh... But yes, that's our introduction to the mysterious woman. And the reason I wanted to point that out is because they go to the scientist's office. They they ran it's which has already been ransacked. Then they ransack it a little, uh, and they find that um, the the two vials are on the on the scientist. Paltrow finds them, or Polly finds them. Does not tell Sky Captain. Yes, she's keeping secrets still. She's untrustworthy. No, it's <laughs> it's one thing to be like, oh, I need to like hold on to some information, maybe because of. I don't know, my story or something. It's the weirdest thing that she's trying to keep her story a secret from Sky Captain, who is not a reporter. No, I was like, you, <laughs> he, he's not going to scoop you. He hands you these vials and is like, oh, if uh, Totenkopf gets his hands on these, the countdown will begin and the world will end. And she's just like, no one needs to know about that. Those are perfect secrets for my story. Secrets from who? Sky Captain is a superhero mercenary. He is not going to scoop you. He do- he only <laughs> wants to know so that everyone doesn't die. <laughs> and also, we skipped over that that yes, Giovanni Rabisi is captured by by. Uh, no, by- I didn't. I said it. Oh, you said that. Okay. Yes. And he uses his gum to stick yes, him out. Okay, we got all that. Great. <laughs> I must have been thinking about something else. Yeah, you must have been playing on your phone like some kind of a asshole. I didn't do that. I I, I did it to look up Sir Billy, but that was way earlier. <laughs> yeah, that's when I mentioned it. Oh, damn it was it. way earlier. It was not. It was different times. <laughs> Uh, it was a different time. Anyway, there's like one living person in Shangri-La left alive. Because... Uh, from the mining thing. There's two guys left in Shangri-La because you meet two guys. Well, yeah, I'm saying there's one regular healthy guy left in Shangri-La. Yes. Who saves them after the explosion uh, because apparently Totenkopf took everyone from here and made them work in the mines until they died from radiation sickness. And while they were dying from that, did experiments on them. Yes. And so this this one surviving dude from from Shangri La is like, you guys got to go. And they're like, no, please, you have to help us. We want to find and kill Totenkopf. And he's like, ah, I will help you. And then you got to go. And, and so they meet a, a the last survivor of the mines. Yeah, who's just the saddest story because he's like this Tibetan dude who's like blind and dying of your of radiation poisoning, and he's just like, get my staff, and my staff will show the way. Which the is like star. The, Let's just go ahead and say the staff is a dumb MacGuffin. Why does this random mine worker have a super secret staff that indicates the way to this guy's secret base? It's very strange that he would have a staff with, like, star chart coordinates to an island that he has never been to and probably doesn't even know about. I built the staff instead of just writing it down because I desperately crave revenge, but I love riddles so much. I just... I'm a whittler by nature, so I needed to get it into wood. <laughs> it's like, what is, what did, did, uh, did fucking Totenkopf give this to you? Why do you have it? Yeah. I mean, this definitely felt like 
this must have fallen off the back of Totenkopf's truck or some shit. You can see the director doing the move it along gesture during this part where you're like, what the fuck is that? Why would he have that? Why Why is it a puzzle? Why is this part of the movie a puzzle? And you can just see the director being like, keep going, keep Doesn't going. Because we, we need to have a puzzle that gets solved. Yeah. There needs to be some MacGuffin. Polly has to do something other than be mean. Well, she doesn't solve shit. That's, well, yeah, but she holds it, and she says... Huh. An Im- oh, she definitely she, holds it. She holds the staff, and she says a word that gives uh, Sky Captain the clue to solve the puzzle. <laughs> I think it, she just says, like, star or something. Yeah, and, he, and he's like, oh, yeah, star charts. He, he does the entire line. He goes like, just give me a tall ship and a star to sail her by. Stars, star charts, give me the staff. I've solved it. Why, old-timey sailors used to sail by the stars. <laughs> and uh, apparently... This staff will work to show me where this is, wherever we are, by some means. But the the reason I wanted to point out that this poor radiation sickness, blinded, dying uh, mine worker guy who gives them the staff is such a sad story is that he's like, now I have helped you find Totenkopf. You must do me one favor. And then we get a gross out shot as he leans forward so he can finally see him. And he goes kill me and then we just cut to them in the plane done yeah and you gotta assume he just was like uh no oh no i was like (laughs) oh he definitely does he was like oh well that's way easier than anything else pip pip you got it you want shot or beat to death with your own staff i can gouge your useless eyes out or i can let her do it yeah i'm i'm into it because they just fly away and they're already back to being cheerful and getting back to their sexy banter and you're just like dude you just you just had a man beg you for death are are you uh yeah but we don't know how long they've been in that plane at this point (laughs) that could have been days ago (laughs) i love by the way this is the scene where they run out of fuel and i love that they're like well we have to i i think i have a uh, we're just gonna fly and they don't solve the puzzle till they're in the plane and i'm like where were you going Oh, yeah. Just flying in a direction and hope. Why are you out over the ocean knowing you have not enough fuel to get across that ocean? <laughs> it's it's a wonder to everyone. I, I mean, if it turns out that the what if the mystery came through and they were like, they're in Australia. You're like, oh, shit. Well, I had enough fuel to get us halfway across this ocean. Why was I doing this? <laughs> I am currently headed in the wrong direction and have been for about half a day. <laughs> yeah, but he solves it and he's like, oh, in this stretch of ocean where nothing on any map, that's where the base is. And uh, we get, he has to call Frankie, his British associate who has a shield helicarrier. And also an ambiguous, a gender ambiguous name so that we can have an intrigue reveal. Yeah. Oh, Francesca. Mm hmm. Yeah, he even calls her at one point just Frank. I, I, I'm I assuming just to kind of throw... Oh, and also definitely switches to they, them pronouns yeah. until we see her and then immediately goes back to she, her. Very progressive for the 30s. He's <laughs> like, well, no, he's just very clearly like, I don't want to say that this is a lady until we're actually landed and you can't do something stupid like crash this plane. <laughs> Even then, he'd just be like, I know a woman. He doesn't have to be like, I knew her from Nanjing or whatever. She's definitely the one I slept with. She, he could just be like, there's a woman in the British military who I know. You know, just go there. I guess maybe we have to assume that Polly is so suspicious of all women everywhere that she'd be like, you know a woman? I'll crash the very plane. <laughs> ah, the very thing. <laughs> what are you doing knowing women? So, yes, they land on a big British helicarrier. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when we find out that apparently 
there's not really any sort of war going on because fuck it, they can just send a helicarrier with a shitload of stuff here. Mm -hmm. And later in the movie, like a ton of them. Yes. This isn't like a one-off thing. Yeah, this is also when we finally find out that Angelina Jolie is top billed in this movie for being in it for three minutes. Oh, yes. Her shooting took literally three days. (laughs) Uh, So she is immediately dismissive of Gwyneth Paltrow because she is not military like Sky Captain. Some civilian. Some civilian. She's like, what on earth is that? And, oh, I also have to mention, because it is amusing to me, that (laughs) her filming took, you know, three actual days of filming. Mm -hmm. She is in the movie for a handful of minutes, but she went around and interviewed various actual British World War II pilots in order to get the correct mannerisms and turns of phrase. And I'm like, that was a waste of time. Why did you do that? (laughs) That was unnecessary. You're in this movie for three minutes. Who cares? That's like finding out when Mickey Rourke did that whole thing where he was, that, yeah, that's him. When he was like, yeah, to do Iron Man 2, I spent like three months in interviewing Russian prisoners in a Russian prison. And I was like, why? No one cares. You don't act like one. <laughs> you came out of it with bad Russian accent. <laughs> I wonder if David Harbour did the same thing, given that he also plays a Russian prisoner in a Marvel movie. Huh? Or if he was like, I could just fake a Russian accent and be a big goofball. Ta-da! It's me! <laughs> I'm not method. <laughs> Mickey Rourke uh but yeah so any so she is dismissive of Gwyneth Paltrow and very stiff upper lip about everything you best not be wasting my time oh we've got things to do but uh they apparently know about this island already from reconnaissance Mm -hmm. which is odd but they're like ah yes we know about this island in the middle of nowhere and uh we'll we know all of its geographic features, including it has one of those secret underwater cave entrances. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, if you try and go in this way, there's going to be like these rock faces. But if you go over this way, there's an inlet that you can take under the island. And you're like, how the fuck do you know any of that? <laughs> the fact that you know the island exists is weird enough. But the fact that you have just full topographical information about it is very strange. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to, it's just this part of the movie is so rushed along. Like they they wanted to do the, the pulp movie travelogue thing, but they did not have time for it. So the mo- this part of the movie is just like, there's this staff, it's got a puzzle. We saw the puzzle, we move along. We're out of fuel, there's a special thing you can land on. We landed on it, we move along. There's a little bit of intrigue because he might have slept with both of these women. We don't have time for that, we move along. There's an island we gotta get to. How do we get to it? There's a secret submarine entrance you gotta go through. No time to talk about how to do that. Here's a special secret submarine you can to get into it moving along go 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 we got to keep going we have no time for this well the the plane that he uses it's his own plane is modified to be also a submersible yes and all of the planes that the british have are also that yes so it's not that he's got a super special secret science plane it's that that's just the thing you can have that's a regular thing that's a regular feature on planes at this time in this day and age yep so they have an entire aquatic unit of planes that dive into the water. And in my personal favorite touch, Sky Captain doesn't have to deal with this. His plane, you can just fly around into the water and out of it again if you want to. No problem. The British have to put on fishbowl diving helmets and then get into their air- hermetically sealed airplanes as well to fly into the water. I assume it's a safety measure, which it is, because Jolie gets knocked out of her plane underwater at one point. That's why it's on there. But it looks very funny when they all put on their fishbowl helmets and then their fuselage canopies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Jude Law's just like, 
meh, meh, shut. Why would I do that? I'm a big damn hero. Uh, I do enjoy when we are going across the underwater scene before we get to the island. We, of course, uh, go across some crashed boats, including one that they very specifically show the name of, the Venture, mm-hmm. which is a the reference Venture. to the uh, King Kong ship, mm-hmm. and it even has a large uh, cage on it yep. underwater. Yep. And so kind of we're supposed to also believe that, like, oh, this is probably Skull Island as well. Yes, it's definitely Skull Island. This, well, I mean, That actually makes a lot of sense, given that there's giant fauna on it. It's amusing that there's giant fauna on it, because they're just like... We don't have time for that. You, you, we need a huge bird. Done. Why is there a huge bird here? It's probably one of Totenkopf's experiments. Okay, keep going, keep going, keep going. Robots again. <laughs> like, I guess they wanted it to be a dinosaur island or whatever, but they were like, oh, shit, we don't have time for that or the budget. Let's oh, keep yeah. Well, they're just like, uh, we got to do a pulp thing in a jungle. We haven't done jungle pulp yet. Whoops. So they were like, all right, they land in Piss Lake on Skull Island, yeah. and there's some dinosaurs, but <laughs> I mean, mostly it's just... Ah, oh, we gotta run from a pterodactyl. They see like a forty foot tall ostrich, and then yeah, at one point, what I assume is supposed to be a pulp version of a pterodactyl, but honestly looks more like just a dragon, chases them a little bit. Yeah. It just looks like a dragon. It doesn't look even close to what people in the thirties thought pterodactyls <laughs> look like, and that was way wrong. <laughs> uh but yes, we get another scene here where they're crossing a log across a chasm that is Again, in homage to King Kong. Yeah. Uh, and this is also where we get a bit of the running joke for this movie where Polly realizes her camera only has two shots left. Mm-hmm. And so we kept, keep getting things where she sees some amazing thing and doesn't bird. take a picture of it. Yeah. Well, she sees like the helicarrier and is like, oh, no, I can't take a picture of this. I only have two left. Sees giant ridiculous birds and dinosaurs. Well, I can't take a picture of this. I only have two left. Yeah. They get into Totenkopf's uh, base, sees a giant spaceship that is an arc filled with two of every animal Mm -hmm. being loaded by flying robots. And she's like, no, I can't take a picture of this. And of course, Jude Law's like, what are you going to see that is better than this? And what's amusing is that by the time she gets to the arc, she has one shot left because in the running across the uh, the log to get away from the pteranodon scene, she falls and accidentally takes a picture of the ground. Yes. So now she's down to one shot. So that's that's a constant. We have multiple running gags going. There's that one. There's the did you fuck that lady one where finally on the log in order to get her to keep running. He goes, yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. Well, she's she's trying to get him to admit to something. And she's like, I sabotaged your plane. He's like, I fucked her for three months. (laughs) Yes. She's like, it was it was her, wasn't it? That's who you were seeing. Polly, I never fooled around on you once when we were together. I sabotaged your plane. We were together for three months. Mm -hmm. And then and then we move on. And it doesn't matter. It's it's fine. It's fine. Everything's Uh, fine. But, you know, there's a bunch of robots here. And they are saved by Dex, who has managed to break some scientists out with him. Mm-hmm. And Good boy, Dex. <laughs> Good boy, Dex. <laughs> and uh, now our big thing is they're going to try and find Totenkopf to get him to shut everything down. He's dead, though. Yeah, he's dead. They find his corpse. It's one of the scenes I remember being impressed by in, in the olden... When I, when I saw this movie in 2004, I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. The villain is dead. It's just his robots filling out his... his uh, yeah, he his, just had a decree that he wanted to do, and 
They're just they've been doing it for the past 15 years. He even real he had a deathbed confession. They find a forgive me ri- a, a note written on his person. Yeah. Where he's just like I, he realized what he had done and how bad it is because it turns out that when that rocket he, he was convinced that the world is going to screw itself over. Oh, yeah. he, had, he had an Ultron plan. He was well, like he he was the we've just come out of World War 1 and mm-hmm. I am convinced that humanity is going to kill itself. Yes. He had an Ultron plan where he was like, everyone's fucking up. I, I'm going to get out of here and and uh, wait for the world to start over, and then we can try again. And also, in order to accelerate the starting over process... I the need ro- to go to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. <laughs> Space! Space! God damn it. Uh, but also... To accelerate the process by which he can land from space when the rocket gets to X altitude, it blows up the Earth. Well, it ignites the atmosphere. Yes. With its booster jets. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, sure. And then I guess they are planning to come back down to their atmosphere where all the oxygen was burned out of it and I, start again or maybe I mean, he was hoping I think to leave he was sending it to some other planet maybe he was planning to go to maybe this is one of those pulp worlds where the moon has air or you know mars and he's like we'll go hang out with the martians mm-hmm. yeah and there are many fine canals i assume barsoom is real in this universe uh I mean, but why not king kong is fuck it Everything but World War II and apparently the War of the Worlds story happened here. It'd be really funny if the World War of the Worlds story happened in this universe and she was just quoting it directly. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah, we've all heard it. Come on, Polly. <laughs> Are you quoting Jesse's girl? <laughs> <laughs> but the point is probably moot. <laughs> uh, anyway, the the whole thing is when they find out he's dead, they're like, oh, well, crap what what can we do and one of the scientists is like okay if you get into the actual rocket itself and you get to this control panel if you cut some wires it'll start a chain reaction that'll just essentially blow up the whole rocket Mm -hmm. but it's gonna happen the second you do it so anyone who goes on there to do that it's a suicide mission yes and he's like great i'm doing it and Polly's like, well, I'm obviously I'm going with you because I've switched from being a reporter who needs to get to the story to a woman in love. <laughs> I'm I'm just here and on an adventure, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, and he's like, well, wait, aren't you dedicated? And she even tries to say, like, I'm going with you. It's my story. And for him to be like, he doesn't just go, yeah, but if you go up there, you will blow up with the rocket, and no one will do the story. <laughs> that story will never get out. Yeah, your 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 priorities. Instead, he punches her unconscious. Yeah, he's just like, I'm sorry kisses her and then punches her and is like here you go dex take care of this for me <laughs> good boy dex this is a good lad <laughs> there's a treat in it for you dex i've got some dexy treats uh and yes he goes to there uh, uh tries to get to the rocket but here's biling the the assassin to stop him and it turns out oh no she's been a robot the whole time oh my goodness and obviously even though she's a robot she's still a woman robot so here comes Gwyneth Paltrow to punch her. Yes. Hits her with some giant metal club thing because she wakes up right before Dex and the scientists and his midnight runners can mm-hmm. go somewhere else and joins him. And then they barely manage to get into the rocket before the countdown ends. And 
I just find it amusing that right after Dex hits her in the face to establish she's a robot, he's like, well, you're a robot? And then you're, you're like, oh, I guess they're going to buck the trend of how when women are heroes in pulp movies, they're there to fight the single female villain. Cool. Uh, they'll and they'll be like, you broke my nail, and then punch them or whatever. It, this one's like, no, it's fine. It's a robot. But no, we still have to have the, the other woman from the movie come in and hit her with something just to keep the trend of, of pulp movies alive. Hey, I mean, he does kill her in the very end because, spoiler, she... Gets on the rocket. To get onto the rocket somehow. somehow. It's fine. Everything's fine. She she has the same teleporter that that Polly had to get into in, into a Sky Captain's office yeah, earlier. Everybody's got one use. It, it's cool. Everyone gets one free Michael Myers. <laughs> uh, but Polly, when they get onto there, is like, "Oh, I feel bad that we're gonna blow up all of these animals," and manifests the ability to read German out of nowhere. <laughs> that was great. That was, she sees a huge German phrase on a wall over a big red button and realizes it says emergency release. Not only does she get the ability to manifest German speaking out of nowhere, because we literally watch before her eyes German turned into the world the word emergency release, but she also understands intrinsically that that means discharge the animals from the rocket safely with parachutes. Yes. As opposed to release drop, us drop us or something or just okay drop the cargo no parachutes <laughs> instead of having them blow up you're gonna have them crash and splatter great or maybe it could be emergency release of the machine that burns the atmosphere it's a bad idea to press the button and it's weird that she suddenly develops a strong uh, uh, need to preserve two cows yeah because that's the only animals you see ever is some cows you see some cows and at the very end you see two giraffes yeah but she's like we have to rescue these animals we have to and there's no point where he whirls on her and is like you have been nothing but a mercenary journalist for days why do you care about these animals now because <laughs> uh, i need something to make this harder so that when I hit the emergency release, it actually makes the ship unstable so and the, that... And the floor falls away, so you have to run across a gantry that's hovering over nothing. Yeah, we have to make our job harder. Yeah. But they managed to make it across there, and the cutting of the wire doesn't work, but then Robo Biling shows up, and Sky Captain manages to kill her with his, her own little electro prod that she has. Yeah. And then they use that same prod to... Uh, zap the machine into overloading. It is kind of fun to watch because there's this weird thing where Totenkopf built this rocket, presumably for himself, to go off into space. And they're in this big Art Deco room where the top where the top of the rocket is. And as they're trying to sabotage the machine, for some reason, a hollow of Totenkopf pops into existence and starts explaining why he did all this. Yeah. And I was like, "Are you? Who did you build that for? Did you build that for yourself? Were you like?" Like, oh, I'm going to need a mental reminder of why I did this when I'm flying off into space with my robo-bride. Bo- oh, no, this is clearly, he wasn't going to be on there. This was for the Martians. Ah, very When yeah. this lands with a bunch of animals and some goo juice and eggs on board. Right, to make the new Adam and Eve. That's what those were. That's right. Yeah, he's going to have to have a little recording that's like, sorry, Martians, humanity sucked ass. Want to start over here? We're sending you a bunch of animals. Here are their dietary needs. I assume they want food. Over and out. <laughs> I'm an engineer, not a biology guy. Although I am, because I reinvented dinosaurs, and I didn't put them on the rocket. I, oh, you know, making well, that clear. I mean, probably they were just there because it's Skull Island, and they were already there. No, they're one of Totenkopf's experiments. That's all that she says. Is they're probably that? We don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they they uh, they find an escape, emergency escape thing, and they get off the rocket. Too. Yeah, there's 
there's a escape pod. They dive down a hole, and luckily it wasn't occupied by the circus bear or the bearded lady. (laughs) Uh, I'm the bearded lady. Who are you, one of the freaks? (laughs) Spaceballs, watch out. Uh, I don't know which one of those movies is better. I actually don't. Ah! Because Spaceballs is not top canon Mel uh, Mel Brooks. No, and it's not top canon Mel Gibson. No, it's one of his worst movies. (laughs) He's barely in it. Barely. (laughs) He plays Pizza the Hut. Uh, But yes, they land safely in the water with all of the many animals. And so finally, they pop out of their escape hatch. And Polly has a shot that includes parachuting animals and some giraffes that have gotten out of their pod, mm-hmm. some dinosaurs that are in there. There are uh, helicarriers in the sky, mm-hmm. basically everything you could possibly Top want. Top secret amphibious airplanes everywhere. And she turns and takes her last picture of Sky Captain. Her beloved. Aw. And I guess I guess her journalistic integrity at this point is like, there is no story. I'm never going to report any of this for... No reason, because it's not like any of this needs to be a secret. And then, I mean, the guy who did it is dead. We're not preserving his dignity. Uh, and of course, he just goes, oh, Polly. And she's like, yes, it's okay. I I understand. He's like, no, lens cap. Yeah. And that's the end. Yeah. Why not, 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 bits. <laughs> Kind of a fun bit to end it on. I mean, she has a 1930s camera. It's not a Nikon from 1996. No, and especially because I'm like, (laughs) she's never had a lens cap this entire movie. What are you talking about? I don't know. Maybe Dex built that camera. (laughs) Put a lens cap on it. Uh, But there you go. There's the end of the movie. And uh, it's a little... It's a little, a little goofy there at the end, but that's fine. <laughs> it definitely gets kind of theme parky towards the end of this movie. They, they, well, they it, spend so much time in the beginning mm-hmm. on, like, Polly and Sky Captain just sort of wandering around talking to people. Yeah. That by the time it gets to the action, they're like, oh, we forgot we have, like, seven different set pieces we need to move through. Yeah, because you're, you're, when you're watching the end of the movie, and you're like, wow, those dinosaurs, and they're just, oh, they don't have time for that. There's robots. Never mind. You're like, you remember the start of this movie where Michael Gambon was talking to her, and he was like, listen, I don't want you to go to that movie theater. I don't trust your smile. And she's like, I have a dazzling smile. What do you mean? I don't trust what's behind your smile. Those teeth. I don't like your teeth, Polly. <laughs> And they're talking for like 10 minutes. You're like, this, you you could have prioritized. Like, <laughs> did they, if, this is the thing is, if they're aping the Blair Witch Project here, did they also like copy its filming style where they're like, this is guerrilla filming. We don't know what we're going to make. Because <laughs> the movie more or less feels like, you know, when you you write a sentence on a piece of paper and you realize towards the end of the, the line that you don't have enough room to finish the sentence. <laughs> and so your letters start getting smaller and smaller and kind of curving it downwards a little bit. Yeah, you've got you've got something you need to write across a sign. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I started way too ambitious. My <laughs> I letter, was too bold. My starting letter is half of this sign and then the rest of it turned into <laughs> tiny fine print. That's what this movie feels like cinematically. Uh, And you know what? We may as well get into the bests and worsts of this film. Mm -hmm. So, Jeff, why don't you tell me your favorite bit from this movie? Um, I'm going to say my favorite bit in the movie is all of the P-40 gadgets. I like that that super plane stuff. Sure. It's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I'm exactly the kind of plane nerd who'd be complaining because I also immediately recognized what model of P-40 it was. I mean, 
that's me. I was like, oh, it's a Razorback. Cool. Uh, but the gadgetry was really fun to watch, and it was it was neat to see the airplane constantly kind of come up with things. I was hoping for a little more of that, to be honest. The, the movie, unfortunately, doesn't use that much dogfighting time. No. For... For a movie about someone named Sky Captain, he really doesn't fight anyone in the sky all that much. No, he pretty much chases some robot birds the one time. Yeah, he's not even dogfighting with them. He's just chasing them. They aren't even shooting back, really. It's not really an amazing thing. Yeah. You'd think Sky Captain would have something to do in the air. Mostly he runs around and borrows Dex's heat beam. Uh, so yeah, that I'm going to say the, the really cool P40 stuff, the, the submarine scene that felt appropriately pulpy kind of DC comics. It felt a little like spy smasher or something. I was into it. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite thing? I liked the few times when the stylistic shots worked really well as being like, this is a pulp comic from the thirties. Mm-hmm. Like every image is just, this is a panel. This would be a panel. Yeah. You do uh, get a couple of those Indiana jo- Indiana Jonesy style scene transitions that you like so much in pulp movies. Well, you get uh, some of my favorite ones were when the robots were attacking. You have like the three arms that all point up towards the sky in like descending mm. order, and the way that like Polly is running from them and the debris and everything. There's a lot of very well shot things and i would say well shot but it's honestly just all blue screen Mm -hmm. so it's just well put together shots well staged and it's all in the first 20 minutes because after that they don't have time for that they give up on that convention almost immediately pretty much for the moment that they leave uh i would say the scientist's lab because that's the last time they do anything that feels pulpy oh no because it has a lot until they get to skull island and then you get that back again because the 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 scientist lab had some of those really great like high angle shots of the lab that well they were doing a lot more noir stuff in the lab yeah and that was fun to watch uh what is your least favorite thing in the movie i've kind of said it already it's definitely the pacing this movie feels like it could have either been longer or just cut a lot of shit at the start if they and here i thought it was gonna be the piss fuzz all over this film i mean i'm, I'm pretty sure you were gonna say that yeah so i'm okay with it i'm gonna say the pacing because well here's the thing i appreciate hyper stylized movies that's what i always say and it's true one of my favorite movies of all time definitely moulin rouge a lot of movies i like are movies where like they they take a lot of visual risk and do wild camera shit i like angley's hulk way more than i should <laughs> Because it's a Taking, boring, sloggy movie, but at least the, the ideas are cool. Yeah, you take some visual liberties with yeah. things where you're like, I'm willing to sacrifice some reality and some like flow in order to have something that's interesting looking. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was just watching the, uh, the, the new Star Wars Visions thing, and one of the ones I really liked was the twins, which ultimately, realistically, is really bad. Like, it's, it's two characters yap, yapping at each other about, like, how they're Dark Force twins or whatever for, like, ten minutes, and then a fight happens, and then it's over, and you're like, god damn, pace. Pace, for fuck's sake. But the fight is so visually cool. There's a part where they're both out of their helmets just fighting on the deck of a Star Destroyer, like, on the top of a Star Destroyer. Ah. And it's like, aren't they in space? Shouldn't they think about that? Ah, fuck it, it's cool looking. And I was like, yeah, it is. It is cool looking. I appreciate that. I wish it hadn't been ten minutes of explaining everything. Uh. So here, I really like the, uh, I I think the pacing is the biggest problem. This movie needed room to breathe, or it needed a lot of judicious cuts at the start. Yeah. What about you? I mean... You don't have to say the piss yellow fuzz. We can both agree it's kind of awful. The piss yellow fuzz is pretty bad, Mm -hmm. but I feel like, I mean, you're correct in the pacing, and I think you probably could have cut out, if you weren't going to make the beginning paced better, 
you could have cut out one of the scene changes. Like, we didn't need to have, say, the underwater scene where they fight, like, big underwater robot crabs. Mm -hmm. Or you could get rid of the entire Shangri-La scene. And there's there's You could have gotten rid of the entire Kaji character. They use him for one visual gag in the movie, and otherwise he's useless. Oh, yeah. They give him the Vienna thought. There's a scene where they, when they all wake up in Shangri-La naked in, in a bed, and you get some quick banter between Jude Law and Gwyneth Paltrow. Where like, she's like, stop looking at me like that. Like what? And finally she goes, roll over. And he does, and there's Kaji all here suit and furry in the bed. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. <laughs> I'm also, I am also in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciate. That's a, that's a good, fun joke. It's the only thing he's... It feels like there's a lot of this movie for that joke and you're like do you need it do you need is that important <laughs> but yeah no the but the, 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 the fuzz the yellow fuzz is real it makes real it, distracting it, at times it's like is the cinematographer cinematographer this movie like andre serrano what are you doing i'm not explaining that yeah, look it up <laughs> <laughs> uh the the fact that you could have just made this black and white instead of this weird piss color mm-hmm. makes me more upset about it because it didn't add anything it just detracted from what could have been an even more interesting stylistic film yeah this could have been one of those movies where i mean i i hate to say that they should have aped schindler's list of all things but black and white black and white with splashes of color would have been a lot better than generally most things are gray or yellow yeah it looks like moldy lemonade you don't don't do that yeah but there you go we're gonna go ahead and now Rate the movie. We're each going to give it a score from zero to five to rate the movie out of ten. Jeff. Three. It's a fun action adventure, pulpy, serial-y kind of thing. It's got a lot of weaknesses. There's a reason there isn't another one. Um, There's no Sky Captain and something else. But ultimately, it is not. A, it's a movie where you sit through it and you're like, huh, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. Oh, and- also another 1939 thing. Uh, the World's Fair in New York was the world of tomorrow. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it's yeah. a lot of 1939 references. Yeah. And if you're wondering why it's called that, it's because it was Hall Totenkopf's plan to start another world. Yes. The, the world of tomorrow. His world of tomorrow. Yeah. Um, now I kind of wish the rocket had had that giant sphere on top, like the 1939 World's Fair dome. <laughs> uh, that would have been kind of a fun little nod. But anyway, um, yeah. So a three. I'm giving it a three. It's fun to watch. It's kind of like watching Brendan Fraser's Mummy, where even if the movie's got a lot of weird weaknesses, which Brendan Fraser's Mummy does not, so I'm not wa- sure why I'm using that as a comparison. It is, <laughs> Brendan it is, Fraser's The Mummy, a five. Uh, history's most perfect movie. Uh, <laughs> history's sexiest movie. Yeah. Oh, God, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> history's horniest mummy movie. <laughs> And that's including the Tom Cruise one where they advertised it by showing you the the lady mummy in like a mummy bikini. Yep. It's got nothing on Rachel Weiss. <laughs> uh, All right. So a three. You? Um, I was debating a three or a three and a half when I was watching this. Mm-hmm. I think. I I, am I going to be a harsher critic? I, I kind of like this. I think I am going with a three and a half. Okay. I think. I think I went into it with such low expectations was the thing because I couldn't remember any of the plot. Mm -hmm. I assumed much like spawn that I had blocked it out of memory because it was awful. And so going through it, I was like, Oh, this is just a pulp adventure. All right, that's fine. Sure. I finally realized I have a movie like that, that I had saw in theaters and I have zero recollection and fully blanked on Mm -hmm. it's doom. I do not remember a fucking thing about doom. 
When with the rock? I was told it had the rock in it. I was like, okay, I kind of remember the rock. And then I told, I was told that the actual star of it is Carl Urban. And yep. I was like, get the fuck out of town. <laughs> he was in that shit? I watched that movie in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a great fucking FPS scene in it. I, I remember that because I remember that's what it's famous for. But blank on everything else. There you go. So uh, six and a half seems fairly right for this movie. It's a, a decent enough uh, homage to the whole pulp genre. It definitely has some issues, but most of it is sort of overcome by its general charm and the ease with which it lives in that space. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not a huge recommend, but you could definitely do way worse. No, it's fine. It's, it's a perfect example of a lazy Sunday movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is something if you were looking for, like a pulp movie to watch and you had already watched Indiana Jones and the mummy. Fuck it. Why not? Oh, uh, romancing the stone. That's the other one I was trying to remember when I was like every couple of years, they try to do a pulp adventure movie and romancing the stone is one of the other ones. Ah. Okay. Now I'm just, yeah. All right. All right. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we of course will be back in another couple weeks with some more movie mastery, but we have for you, some TV mastery in our bonus section. Sure do. Right over there at patreon.com slash system mastery, where at the $5 level, if you join us as a $5 patron, John, tell them what they'll win. Why, you get everything. You get the Star Wars expanded, expounded universe. Mm-hmm. You get the system mastery bonus content character creation. Mm-hmm. You get the monthly afterthought show where we answer your questions and you get TV mastery where currently we are going through the old snick lineup, the uh, Nickelodeon attempt to appeal to the young teen crowd. And it is close to being done but we've got a kind of a weird one mm-hmm. today to go through so join us for that we're going to be talking about space cases space cases <laughs> spice <laughs> uh but yeah we'll be doing that so you can join us over at patreon.com slash system mastery at the five dollar level and of course if you can't do that then we can always appreciate a review anywhere you happen to listen to your podcast. It helps other people find us. It helps us to grow. So I know times are tough. Times are tough all around. Hell, even the government's about to run out of money. Hey, if you haven't got a hey penny, then God bless you. Yeah, if you haven't got a hey penny, then how about a smile <laughs> and a five-star rating on iTunes or Stitcher? Give us a smile. Love that she is. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll be back later. And until then, you have a good one.